The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. It is a great joy this morning to welcome you to Marsh Chapel, whether you are here in person, listening live over the radio at 90.9 WBUR or over internet signals at WBUR.org, or listening later to the podcast at bu.edu chapel. This third week of our annual Summer Preacher Series, we welcome to the pulpit the Reverend Charles Leitner, retired senior pastor of Bel Air United Methodist Church in Bel Air, Maryland. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his regards as he is away in these summer months, and we look forward to his return in August. Now let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather in this Gothic nave in awe and reverence, we come seeking to know God, that in the light of one who knows us most deeply, we might come to know ourselves. That is to say, we come seeking our vocation, that which we are called to be and do in the world. We would catch a glimpse of a vision of that way of being to which we are invited out of an infinity of paths and possibilities. But how can we see? How can we know if our vision is clouded and we deceive ourselves? As we pray in silence during the singing of the Kyrie, let us confess our wrongdoings and missteps and offer them to God, in whose light we may see light. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the second book of Samuel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 10. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel.
David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. David occupied the stronghold and named it the City of David. David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in verses from Psalm 85 with the Antiphon. the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath 
you turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. Brothers and sisters, please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Glory to you, O Lord. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, 
no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. want to tell you what a privilege it is and indeed an honor to come before you and have the opportunity to preach in Robert Hill's place this morning. It is a beautiful edifice and it has received over the years a wonderful tradition of preaching and worship and marvelous music. The sermon comes because of a, strangely enough, stocking stuffer book at Christmas time. The power of books came to me quickly in a critical moment. It was the 60s. It was the Cold War. The National Institutes of Health in D.C. sent out an invitation inviting all physicians from anywhere across the globe to come and study there. Well, one of them came from Russian overrun Czechoslovakia. His name was Dr. Vaxlaw Clement. Vaxlaw came to study treatment at NIH on oncology, a problem we all have. He was a young physician in Prague, but he was trained all his life long in communism. An NIH member of our Benevola congregation invited him to come home with him. After a Sunday service, Voxlaw came up to me and he had a request, actually two, and I readily fulfilled them both. One was, do you have a Bible? I gave him my RSV, my Revised Standard Version, to keep. And the second was even more interesting. I gave him a copy of Kenneth Scott Latourette's History of Christianity. He would return that a year later, having read both the Scripture and the History saying, I knew what they told us. I knew it wasn't true. He practiced his oncology in California. Was Voxlaw sent to us or were we sent to him? Books are a stream 
in the desert of our mind. However, Vachel Lindsay wrote what the world's great crime is, that babes grow dull, which is to say, they stop learning, stop reading, stop searching for the truth. Reading books, for me, is a gift that just keeps on giving. Reading led me to the world at large, and it began in an interesting way. My sister, who was, as I say, much older than I, came home with her Latin primer. Well, obviously, I couldn't read the words, but the pictures were absolutely riveting. The ancient world, which I saw there, would lead me to my love of history, which, of course, would then send me to the coil-free library in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. That led to a whole wide world of adventure and insight, despite the fact that Yahoo says today our libraries will soon be all computers. Amazon, I must confess, is still trying to sell me their Kindle. But for myself, and possibly for you, possibly for you, there's nothing in my mind like holding on to a book. Reading, I've gone to places I'd never go. The Sumer civilization, for instance. I've done things I would never do, deep dive in a submarine. I've met people I'd never meet. It's a cast of thousands, like Luther, Wesley, Bach, John and Abigail Adams, uh, Wellington, Dickens, Lincoln, uh, Schweitzer, Weatherhead, Truman, Binkner, Edwin Wade Teal, Annie Dillard, Henri Nouwen, Robert Raines, Deschardins, C.S. Lewis, Lauren Isley, uh, Nimitz, the Admiral, a whole group of women main writers, and more recently, Alec Guinness, of all people. Moreover, reading has a way of leading us toward being and doing. So it was in seminary that scripture first exploded for me. Oh yes, as a little kid, I had memorized the verses in Sunday school. So did you. But then in scripture, the Old Testament survey course by Dr. Wayne Barr was magic for me. And what about Dr. Harner in New Testament? He was an interesting man, a wonderful scholar. His Bible was in 18 different pieces wrapped around by a rubber band, but he knew it in and out. If they all inspired me to become what I've become and do what I've done. So like you, I am a person of many parts, but how many of them are peculiarly my own? For each book, each life, is an adventure into the unknown. Each unknown is an experience in learning and absorbing. Many times, yes, it's scripture whether it be an RSV, an Oxford annotated, 
or a friend of mine, Eugene Peterson's message, or J.B. Phillips, or it could be Barclay's limp edition of the Daily Study Bible, or Genesis and Matthew's notes for Old and New Testaments found in the new and recent Interpreter's Bible, or it could also be Faulkner's fable, a wonderful work to read, or on the 50th anniversary, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, or Isaac Dennison's Out of Africa, or Weatherhead's The Christian Agnostic, Kubler-Ross's last book, The Wheel of Life, or anything that David McCullough has written. Listen to what Frank McCourt writes in Angela's Ashes. He writes, you have to study and learn so that you can make up your own mind about history and everything, but you can't make up an empty mind. Stock up your mind. It is your house of treasure, and no one in the world can interfere with it. If you've won the Irish sweepstakes and bought a house that needed furniture, would you fill it with bits and pieces of rubbish? Your mind is your house, and if you fill it with rubbish, it will rot in your head. You might be poor, your shoes may be broken, but your mind is a palace, like the disciples. You and I are sent people. We can't be empty-headed. Jesus asked his disciples to be models of his life in the world. And daily, they read his life like a book while he lived it. But he also asked them to be models to his word in the world. He sent them forth to show folks how Christianity's lived. But how can we? How can we? If we no longer read the gospel we're supposed to emulate, life ultimately isn't about how much we have. It's about who and what we've become. Did we graduate and then stop reading, except in our specialty? When was the last time you read your Bible? Or this is a good year to read Harper Lee. There is no sacred, there is no secular. All reading either reveals God or it ignores him. And either way, it is a theological statement. Else why a Judas in the New Testament? The parables are powerful stories told in the scriptures by Jesus himself. But for the most part, they are drawn out of everyday life. And that's the beauty of their appeal. They didn't first come from a sacred page. They came from living. If the parables were not contained in the New Testament, if you read some of them in, let's say, a comic book, or in fiction or non, would they be any less theological? Would they have any less significance? Of course not. They each contain truth. Most of these themes can be found in today's movies, plays, poetry, art, etc. While we're living, 
the gospel is still being written every day. For scripture was never meant to isolate us from life. And the canon was never to say, tick a lock, there is no more. Scripture is intended to show us the reality behind what we see, behind what, like Vox Law, we've been told is the reality, we've been told is the truth. The reality behind what the world says, this is real. And what would that truth be? A recent University of Michigan study says this is where it gets tricky. Why? Well, rather than facts driving beliefs, the Michigan study says our beliefs can dictate the facts we choose to accept. And you can ask Mr. Andrew Breitbart about that. What would that truth, what would that ultimate reality be to Christianity? Life beyond life, surely. The reality behind what we call real is God. God is present behind that veil that surrounds our lives daily, as though we were seeing through a glass darkly. But was it ever so clear? Bad theology is still bad theology and there's a lot of it around these days. The hard group of Christians dare not care for a book like Rubber Ducky. But in the Rubber Ducky book of meditations is a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He says, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Or I might add a TV channel or a radio station. The Gospel of Matthew says the same thing, only in a little bit different way. It says, first remove the log in your own eye before you even attempt to take out the cinder in your brother's. Rubber Ducky has quotes from the gospel, yes. Wesley, Hemingway, Faulkner, Alan Alda, W.H. Auden, Dorothy Parker, Samuel Johnson, Gandhi, an alumnus of this institution, Martin Luther King. But it has one interesting one for me. It's by all people, Catherine Hepburn, who wrote that rather self-centered biography, me. But listen to her words. Love has nothing to do with what you're going to get, only what you're expecting to give, which is everything. What you will receive in return varies, but it has absolutely no connection with what you give. You give because you love and you cannot help giving. Or listen to these words from Einstein. My religion consists of a humble admiration 
of the illimitable superior spirit who reveals himself in the slight details we are able to perceive with our frail and feeble mind. Rubber ducky will not fit perfectly into too narrow a Christian mold. My Alabama colleague, Dr. Thomas Lane Butts, whom you may have heard from this pulpit, has a word on this. He said, fanatics and heretics make the same basic error. They fail to see their one idea in light of the whole world of ideas. But sent, sent Christians do. Because why? Because they have a much wider vision. Yes, the right needs the left as the left needs the right, and we both need the truth. But there need to be checks if we are to have a caring balance where we can come together, where we can, as it was indicated, kiss. However, this needs to be said. Unchristian means cannot be a justification for whatever our so-called Christian ends. At present, our nature lacks that balance. There seem to be no checks to balance us, no central caring place. Across the globe, God's truth is taking a battering. Well, we all need to read, learn, and thereby experience the truth. But the task is not that simple. Lord wish that it was. After all, truth or love without truth is sentimentality, and truth without love is brutality. So it is my prayer that we and they may come to a much wider vision, as Vox Law discovered. And as I might add, and this is a glimmer of hope for all of us, or as the atheist vampire novelist Anne Rice has recently discovered and written about in her book called Out of Darkness. She writes what happened to her as a faithful Catholic youngster. As I lost my faith in God in this church, these many lies seemed to be proof to me that I was moving away from a falsehood and into truth. And later she remembers her 30-some years of godlessness. I went through the motions of being a conscientious atheist, trying to live without religion. But in my heart of hearts, I was losing faith in the nothingness, losing faith in the absurd. I held out against God. I held out against the church because I thought I was holding out for truth. Then still later, everything I was reading, and I was reading a great deal, more than ever before, was telling me in a secret, insistent voice, and you know, you know there is a God. Well, the light came to her dark tunnel when she picked up the Gospels. 
There is something so explosive, she says, about this body of work, the Gospels, that it not only dwarfs the fragile assumptions of the skeptics, it dissolves them into nothingness. The words never stop inspiring responses that are beyond the words. The novelist in me has found this complex web of truth and meaning in these books when, frankly, I didn't expect to find anything so powerful at all. The truth is godly. Wherever it is found, wherever it's uncovered, whether it be the Gospels or Faulkner or Guinness or whomever, whether it comes from west, east, south, north, whether it comes from right, left, or center. After all, when did St. Christians ever determine persons by labels, or in our case, books by their covers? Shall we pray? Almighty God, in the running about and the confusion of our lives, we absolutely ignore day in and day out that we are your people. Moreover, we are your sent people. We have a job to do, a mission, a ministry to fulfill. Help us be about it and give us the strength to read and reread, to be illuminated, to be moved, to be charged, to be electrified by a gospel or a piece of fabric from the world at large. Oh, dear God, you are the veil that moves among our lives so mysteriously, so presently, so dynamically. All thanks be to you, oh God. Amen.
please be seated. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the way that will best help you to support the prayers of this community. Please kneel or stand at the altar rail, stand in your place, lift your hands, respond in your first language, however you are so moved by the Spirit. I will set the intention in our prayer, and then we'll say, God, in your grace, if you would respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray. one, you who are three, one God in perfect community. We pray with and for all our sisters and brothers who confess your name, for our unity in your truth, for our life together in your love, and for our revelation of your glory in the world. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray with and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all, for the life of the world. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for the people of this land and for all the nations, for the ways of justice and peace amongst us, for our honoring of one another, and for our service to our common wealth and common good. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for the earth as your own creation, for our reverence for its diversity and beauty, for our right use of its resources in service to others and to your honor and glory. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for all whose lives are closely linked with ours, for our service to Christ in them, and for our love for one another as Christ loves us. God, in your, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of body, mind, spirit, for their comfort, healing, courage, and hope, for our standing with them in the common and extraordinary challenges of life, 
and for the joy of your salvation for us all. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for those who have died, with thanksgiving for their life and work amongst us, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray for the joys and celebrations of our human life, those milestones which mark our journey, those things which strengthen our hearts and promote our peace. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. We pray in all these things that your will is done, in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, in your grace, hear our prayer. And now continuing in our prayer, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We give thanks this morning to Reverend Charles Leitner for his presence among us and his bearing the word to us this morning. We also offer a heartfelt thanks and a fond farewell to one of our number, Miss Undine Brent, after 21 years of service and ministry among us at Marsh Chapel, beginning with her undergraduate studies here at Boston University, is moving to Paris. We give thanks to Undine for her leadership in congregation and most especially in choir and we offer her every rich blessing on her ventures across the pond. Thanks, Andine, and blessings. We do hope you will uh, help us to get to know you better and help, you, and help us to help you get to know one another better by filling out the red pads found along the center aisle with your name and contact information that we can be in touch with you throughout the week. In addition, more information about Marsh Chapel services and activities are available on our website, bu.edu chapel, along with the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
give you thanks, O God, this day for life and health and peace. Bless these gifts and those who have given them for the building up of the people of God and the service of the world. Amen. mercy and peace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit abide and remain with you and me now and even evermore. Amen.